Welcome to our new podcast, Kids Wear Therapy. If you're listening, remember to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Kids Wear Therapy is a safe space to discuss the ups and downs, the positives and the irritations of the kids wear industry. So join Linda, myself and our wonderful guests on Kids Wear Therapy. Hi Linda. It was so nice to see you down in London again this week. I know it's becoming a bit of a weekly thing at the moment and I hope yeah. it remains. <laughs> yeah, pity it was pity lunch, wasn't it? Pity lunch, a fabulous new Italian restaurant, Gattopardo, that we really liked the decor too, didn't we? It's very 70s Italiana. Yeah, we really lucked out because the kids were I press were all downstairs in a private in their private function room, which was yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. So um, I fell in love with the walnut table. I don't know about you. It was luxe. It was pure yeah. luxe, and it just took me back. And the music had that kind of seventies Italian disco-y um, vibe. It it just kind of took you out of London and into somewhere else. Yeah, and it's it's so nice because it does actually spoiling your press like that actually does does get the best out of us. <laughs> but what did you what did you take from the pity lunch? What would what was your what was the most interesting? Part? I think they seem very open to looking at new things to do to lure you know more buyers, more brands. Very open to. Um, you know, how do we operate in this new post-COVID world? Well, can't really say post, it's still with us, isn't it? But, um, you know, what is needed now? Um, how how to entertain and, you know, um, keep people coming back as well. Yeah, it felt like they were really open to the conversation yes. as well, like open to the conversation. And I think that's partly, I mean, that's also why we, we have the podcast as well, is the fact is actually talking a bit, because, you know, they're tricky times at the moment, aren't they? And, Very. and you know, and we want the trade shows, we need our trade shows, don't we? We need them, you know, you, it's, you need, um, you know, you need multiple Meeting trade people shows. is yeah. so important. It yeah. really is. It's so fabulous. And then just seeing the clothes, touching the clothes, looking at the way they move, they're all really important things that you just don't get over the internet. No, you don't. And it's, it also, it just meeting the people, you can fall in love with the brand, can't you? Mm. They can sell the yeah. story and nobody can do that like the person, the designer themselves in person. And on to this week's podcast. So who's our guest today, Katie? Our guest today is George Reddings. So she is one half of the duo behind um, Little Bird. So obviously it was Jules Oliver, who is Jamie Oliver's wife. Um, and they started it back in 2012 um, with Mother, um, mother Care. Um, and now... Interesting. Yeah, and so George has been in the business for about 25 years. She's worked, she's done women's wear, men's wear. She did Gap Kids for 10 years in New York. So it should be really interesting to find out a bit more about her story and how she ended up in kids fashion and what she's doing now. Ah, fantastic. What a resume. Yeah, I know. Here we go then. <laughs> Well, welcome to Kids Wear Therapy, George. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. We met, didn't we, at the Fuse Comms uh, press day 
and uh, and we managed to kind of grab you and say, can you come on the podcast? Because obviously you have been working in this industry for over 25 years. Um, and yeah, we just want to have a chat about all the different, you know, stages, you know, throughout your, your career and, and the different businesses and everything. But first of all, with Kids Wear Therapy, we, we kind of get into the childhood aspect of it first. So we just, I guess what we want to know is like, you know, what did you want to be when you're younger? And, you know, did, were you, did you have an interest in clothing from like an early age? I always had an interest in clothing and sort of crafty things when I was younger I had a very inspiring grandmother and great aunt who taught me how to sew and knit and crochet possibly before I could walk or do anything else Um, my great aunt taught us how to make toys you know out of bits of old fabric and stuff them with other bits of fabric and then we'd knit clothes for them and so I think I've always had that making thing in me um actually when I was at school I wanted to be a um tv camera person for some reason I don't know why whether whether I thought it was some glamorous (laughs) career or not I don't know and then when it came to our options um you needed physics and when you chose your options you then got told okay which ones you actually were given and they didn't give me physics they gave me textiles instead And I was gutted because I was like, well, now I can't be a camera person. What am I going to do? But it obviously led me down a path. um, And I had an amazing textiles teacher at school who, when when we got to the final project at GCSE level, um, it was something like you had to make a clutch bag or some other random useless thing when you're 15. And I said to her that I wanted to make a suit, a tailored suit. And she kind of threw her arms up and went, mm, okay. And, but she was amazing because she said, right. And I said, I've got a picture in my head. I know exactly what it, what it, I want it to look like, but I can't find it. So I want, I, I want to make it. And, um, she was amazing. And she said, well, if you put the work in, I will, you know, stay after school and I will help you and we'll, you know, we'll do this and get you through it. So I made it amazing. Isn't that important? Yeah. Yeah. Like teachers that actually get involved like that can really kind of give you like um, the confidence to kind of to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. it changed the path of everything, I think, because it made me realise that I think the, the exams were so kind of set in. You have to do this this way in this technique. And I kind of just was like, I don't want to do that. I want to do something completely different. But yeah, she was amazing. And it's frightening, isn't it? Because like it, I always worry with um, my kids and things that I so like with sewing and with um, you know with knitting. These are all things that are like being completely or well, actually maybe lost. more now, but they are kind of lost, aren't they? I mean, I don't know about you, Linda. Can you knit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I had the same thing. My mother taught me. She taught me how to sew. And I had an aunt that was a very prolific knitter. And again, I was making clothes for my dolls, you know, seven, eight years old. And that's where yeah. I began and my interest in it. So, um, yeah. yeah, you need that person in your life that I think sparks the initial interest. If you look at the yeah, biographies definitely. of a lot of designers, um, they, they began, Jean-Paul Gaultier was dressing his sister's dolls and things like that. So yeah. um, at an early age, it can actually be set off. Did you have yeah, a favourite outfit when you were young, George? Did you have um, something you really loved? Oh, my God, I did. I I had a t-shirt I grew up in the 
sort of late 70s, I had a T-shirt that was a photographic picture of a cat. Oh. And <laughs> That's I very in at the moment, actually. I used to think the coolest thing, this was, I mean, I must have been about five or six at this point, um, but I used to have to wear it with a bright green cardigan that I did the top button done up the only one so that it looked like the cat was looking through curtains oh, I love that. <laughs> and I loved it I thought I was the bee's knees that was like but I was this is probably like five or six <laughs> that's brilliant so obviously you then you you went on to work for Gap in New York didn't you can you tell us about that how you ended up in New York yeah yeah um yeah I was uh, I did um a textiles and fashion degree and after the degree, lots of people were going out and doing work experience all over the place. And our college had a link to a textile design studio in New York. And some of my friends had gone over to do work experience um, while I went to London to, you know, supposedly get a job in, as a designer. So by the time they came back, I'd have the job and the, and the flat and they could stay with me and I would be all set. Um, so organised. Well, it, that was the plan. And then, of course, it didn't turn out that yeah. it was quite as easy as that back then. Um, yeah. Nobody would give you a job. If you didn't have experience, you couldn't get experience without a job. It was really difficult. I still have all the rejection letters from every company I hand wrote wow. to back then before computers. Um oh. So, you keep yeah, them to so then spur I, you on and get angry. Because sometimes that's yeah, the well, thing. Yeah. If you keep something like that, it's like, right, I'll show yes. you. I can do yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the fact that it was an actual letter from a company, you know, type headed note paper saying, We're so sorry, but thank you. You know, they're so quite kind keeping. of historical <laughs> items yeah. back in the day. To prove back my in age. the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I then um so I went to New York and did some um, work experience in textile studios um, and had a few years literally hand painting kind of florals or, you know, golf people or scenics or sea life or whatever it was that we needed to do. And, you know, the salesperson would go out and sell, take, you know, huge folders around the streets of New York and sell them to Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein and all the big houses. Um, so, and... Gap had bought a few of my designs and had commissioned a few others and commissioned some um, T-shirts for the 96 Olympics, I think. That's showing my age. Um, so I just built up a friendship with the people I was working with there. And um, yeah, and eventually they kind of said, OK, we need you. We need you in-house. And at that point, they hadn't hired any textile designers because they bought all their prints from studios. So I was kind of one of the first people to you know, start as a print designer. Um, and I started in men's, back then it was called men's body and it was sort of sleep and lounge. So I was doing all the print designs for pajamas and boxer shorts and which of course there was hundreds, hundreds yeah. in the men's department. Yeah. It was an amazing company to work for. And there were so many opportunities to be able to kind of sidestep into different departments. Cause I mean, everybody knew everybody. It was, I made some of the best friends working there that you know, I've had in life and still in touch with now. All our kids grew up together and it was amazing. Um, but my boss, who was a real mentor to me, he was the one who first pulled me over from the print studio. Um, he was an amazing guy and, and he still is. Um, and 
and he kind of moved around from men's to women's so I did a little bit of work in women's wear and then he moved to Gap Kids and then he moved to Baby Gap and so I kind of moved around with him and then when he went to run Baby Gap as VP he called me and said right I need you at Baby Gap so that's I kind of did a bit of everything and then ended up at Baby Gap. Yeah, we'll go on to in a second about um, the different businesses that you've you've worked for. But it, what was it like back then compared to now, uh, designing for kids? Um, I do see a difference. I feel like it was a bit more. I think the it's a bigger difference from New York to the UK and how companies work differently and how design is seen differently. And especially at a company like Gap, it was design was kind of top of the food chain. It was, you know, so kind of respected as an art form as where everything started. We had, you know, huge concept rooms and we had concept meetings and we would, you know, shop all over the world and bring back things that inspired us from all over the world into this huge concept room. And we would take weeks and months to bring these concepts together and work on palettes and colours and dye our own. And, and you know, the different um, collections we would set up in, it, it just felt grander and a bit more kind of designed. It was design-led. Whereas I feel like, and I think that goes, probably goes across all, you know, markets and genders really, but definitely for kids wear um, over there. But then what I found coming back to this country was that thing, companies and brands are very buyer-led than design-led. Mm-hmm. So it's much more about, okay, what has worked, what the sales are, what the best sellers are, and then you add the newness into that as a mix whereas back in the gap days it was like okay design tell us what's tell us what's going to happen tell us you know and the buyers would then pick from what we designed rather yeah, so than it's kind of reverse of, yeah in reverse. and in yeah, fact just, um, yeah, the gap has gap items from the 80s and 90s are now highly desirable aren't they that's quite yeah. a market for the retro gap items so maybe that reflects what you're saying about how design was so important then um because it was a moment in time yeah it was a moment in time yeah it's definitely changed a lot over the last well 10 years Mm. yeah when it was at its prime the leader at the top sailing the ship was creative mickey drexler was a huge creative visionary and I think that filtered down all the way through the ranks that creativity and design was paramount in the company. And I think there's very few big brand, well, big brands or retail businesses where the person at the top is creative and has a vision. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's no, quite no, rare. I know obviously you get it with Apple and, you know, big, big companies that you can clearly see who's design led and who isn't. And it comes from the top, I think. And then obviously you came back to the UK and then you had a big success, didn't you, with um, Little Bird. So obviously it's you and Jules Oliver that are working on it. But how did that come about? How did how did you get involved in that project? Um, well, when I first came back to this country, I worked at uh, Mothercare yep. and I was head of creative. So I was kind of looking at loads of different things. I was looking at the catalogue, photography, you know, sort of branding, but also the clothing side and the print designers, graphic designers, and kind of because of my background, I could kind of dip into lots of things and support lots of teams. Um, 
And they had just started having a conversation with Jules as a kind of perfect matchup of this wholesome, you know, wholesome family, wholesome life, but also with a nod to the 70s and 80s. And there was a real link there because um, Jules's mother used to dress she has two sisters and she used to dress all three of them in mother care in the 70s oh. and she saved all those clothes the, yeah, mother care. Oh. yeah but there was no, there wasn't anything else was there that's yeah, where no, I, yeah, our yeah, mothers mother and our grandmothers went yeah. yeah yeah and so there was a and Jules produced this on one of the first meetings this kind of wincy white baby gown um with a tiny little embroidery on it and she'd worn it, her two sisters had worn it, her mother had saved it, and her mother handed it down to Jules, and all Jules's kids had worn it. So oh. there was this real nostalgic heirloom hand-me-down added on to her just wholesome, real, you know, pers- personality and real family, that it was the perfect link. So they just had started having conversations with her. And I think because it was, it was going to be something built from scratch a whole brand in itself and nobody really knew where it was going to go they kind of called me in as a this umbrella role to kind of go right come and meet her and see where this could go because it's going to need lots of lots more things not just you know the design of something it's going to need branding and labeling and packaging and um you know a whole identity and concept behind it so i was brought into one of the first few meetings and we just got on so well as soon as we met we clicked and we were, were from the same era we liked the same things we had the same kind of vision so it was just easy and it just kind of took off from there so we just yeah we've been remained friends ever since we just clicked it's a very distinctive look I think um I, I loved it because it, it was really standalone from the rest of um, mother care uh, it was had this retro vibe to it and and obviously it was colour and you, you love colour. It was a very colourful brand as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was striking at the time when it was introduced as something very different. We were kind of one of the first few brands to really go head to head with the pink and blue ness of, of kids wear at that time. Yeah, that's Kind true. of refusing yeah. to go down that road and just keeping it as as not neutral because it was bright colours, but keep it as unisex and as gender neutral as we could because the heart and soul of it was rooted in, you know, the 70s, growing up in the 70s, where there was no pink. And if there was, your brother wore it as well. And you wore hand-me-downs and you didn't have much, so you shared everything. And it was much more about being bright and fun and colourful and handing clothes down. And it was less, I think it was a lot less pink and blue focused back then. So true, because I mean, looking back, because we've we've got we were looking at um, pictures of ourselves, Linda and I, for um, promotions for the podcast, and actually looking through it, oh, I've got hardly any pictures of me wearing anything that's pink or anything like that. I mean, it's like it's like maroon, and you know, it's like it's it's like the green behind you there. You know, it's like yeah. all these kind of colours that you know there there wasn't so much the pink and blue. It was there. And I think if there was pink, it was a bright pink. It was much more kind of primary. It was simple. I feel like it was a much simpler way. It's like when we were little, you looked outside, well, what's the weather? Is it T-shirt and shorts weather? Because that's, do you know what I mean? It was simple. We had tops, we had T-shirts, jumpers and shorts and dresses. Yeah. It It was a much simpler time. So I think that's the essence of what we wanted to keep with Little Bird. Yeah, and I had no idea. I didn't realise that it was so early. It was 2012 that Little Bird started. Yeah, 
that's amazing. So we, and we were working on it for a year before that. So, yeah, it launched in 2012. They just yeah. had its, well, yeah, last year we had its 10-year anniversary. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. So what happened with Little Bird? Because Mother Care got bought out or Mother Care ended, didn't it? Yeah, so when Mother Care UK ended, yeah, that kind of automatically ended the the relationship and the contract. So they kind of went their separate ways. Um, yeah, now it's so, under now it's under Next, is it the umbrella? So of now Next? it's under Next. Yeah. So we picked up with um, Next over lockdown and started recreating and relaunching because it had had a couple of years kind of hiatus between the end of Mother Care and moving it to next we were waiting to find kind of the right place and the right partner really um but yeah so we had sort of a year in lockdown doing everything on zoom it was quite an interesting way to relaunch it but it was really nice because then we could kind of really look at what worked what didn't I was going to say that but you must at that point kind of you must have had like ones like designs and staples that you were like right okay well this one really was you know everybody loved this and it was really easy you know to fly off the shelf and then I mean how much do you do that how much do you kind of how much do you go with safe ones and then add in, you know, like some new designs? What, how do you work it? It's it's a real mix because there are some key pieces that we bring back every season because the customer still still likes it. You know, she's yeah. still shopping for this a certain T-shirt season after season. So because we're not trend led, we can have the same T-shirt yeah. in forever as long as, you know, we can keep bringing something back until the customer decides they don't want it anymore. So it's a real mixture of like key signature little bird things that we will always have. And then we've got the freedom to kind of go, right, let's try let's try something that maybe is slightly more trend-led, but in a little bird way, just so that we are relevant and keeping with the times. But then also we can go, right, let's do a wild card. Let's throw in some, you know, crazy metallic high top trainer with star with a star on it that looks like something Elton John would have worn. That would be the one that and I'd we go can, for. <laughs> yeah, well, and it was one of those wild cards and it sold out and everybody yeah. loved it. And I think it's the nature of... The way we work with Little Bird, it's we're doing something different to everything else that's out there. The UK market is definitely trend-led in the way that, which is a good thing, but also it means if every brand is looking at the same trends, you end up with kind of a wash of a similar thing in all the stores on the high street. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Little Bird has the kind of the benefit of being rooted in vintage and nostalgia, really, that we can step out of that you know, kind of trend parameter and go, you know what, we're going to do, we're going to do something really crazy, but it's fun and it's colourful and the kids are going to love it and it's different. And when I first met you, it was interesting, was you had, so you're working on a brand, weren't you, that was anywhere and it was, and just recently as well at the press day, it was made reference to on the sustainability panel about, you know, about the hems and all all the different uh, details that you had about how you could extend the longevity of the clothing. Yeah, that was, it was a really interesting project. Um, I'd moved on from Mother Care um, and I was put together, I was put in touch with Jessie through kind of mutual networking friends. Um, and I didn't really know who she was at the time. And we just, again, we we got on and she had this idea um, that she just had a church, she had an 18 month old um, daughter at the time. And 
she she had an interest in kids clothing and fashion anyway I mean she's incredibly stylish and has amazing um you know dress sense and so but she had this massive sort of sack of clothes that her daughter had now grown out of that she was kind of at odds of you know it was that heart-wrenching do I get rid of it do I save it what do I do some of it she hasn't even worn because you know they grow out of it in a few months um and so we just started talking and she said you know there has to be another way is there is there anything that we can do she goes because I don't want to design more kids wear just to add to the pile that I've already got there's got to be so we came up with this whole concept of you know clothes that were natural fabrics unisex and gender neutral styles but also designed in a way that they would grow with your child so you could get much more wear out of them sort of three or four times more wear than something you would find you know in a high street fast fashion chain so it was really interesting because again we could do something different you know and it really resonated with a lot of people of like it was tapping into that kind of ethos of just buy better so that it lasts longer and because it's because it's natural fabrics and it was all made in England, you can then pass it down to somebody else because the quality is so good. You did you did a couple of seasons, didn't you, with Anywhere? And we were chatting, weren't we, because we grabbed a taxi together to King's Cross. We were chatting about um, the fact that it is true that brands need quite a few seasons. And I think Linda will you know, say that as well, is that brands need, you need quite a few seasons for buyers to, um, to invest in you. Um, I mean, what, was it tricky? Was it frustrating a little bit with anywhere that? Um... Yeah, it was, it was tricky. I think the expectation was different to the reality of starting a brand from scratch. And I think, you know, nothing happens overnight. And I think you've got to kind of bed in and see what the brand evolves, you know, over months or over years, because you've also got to see, got to find your customer, make sure you're talking to your customer. And that in itself will evolve because certain things you design and you produce, the customer may not want and certain things they do. So then that's the whole process of season after season. Some styles get get dropped and you don't do that again because that didn't work and some really resonate with the customer like right how can we do more of that where can we so you go on this journey with your customer when you launch something um and yeah unfortunately we weren't we didn't have the time to be able to play that out um so yeah it was a quite short-lived project but it was amazing um it was amazing to work with jesse and it was amazing just the process because it's also a learning curve for me because having come from these big you know kind of iconic brands this was starting something completely from scratch and having it made in the uk on a very small scale which is very different to anything i'd ever done so i learned so much from it and it was an amazing experience really you have a new project uh, i do yes i do i have just started uh, my own label um it's a women's wear concept at the moment um and yeah, I think I just, I've, I've always struggled finding clothes that I liked and that fitted. I don't wear prints or patterns. And I think probably coming from a print design background, <laughs> I don't want to see another floral print. and go, <laughs> yeah, I would always look at a floral and go, oh, that repeats a bit off or do you know what I mean? I think I'd, 
<laughs> or it's not good enough it's like it's got to be your print or it's like <laughs> yeah but I think you just it's, it's that oversaturate I've seen too no, many I of them understand. over the years so yeah I just don't and I just I always like to wear just color solid color I wear a lot of denim and I like natural fabrics and I think I always struggle to find the right thing and I know in my head it's going back to this suit when I was 15 I know exactly what I'm looking for in my head and I get so frustrated that my husband's like, just stop scrolling and searching and just make it. If you know what you want, just make it. So it kind of stemmed from that a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of focusing on um, kind of really simple, beautiful shapes in natural fabrics in bright colours and shapes that you can really like wear out and dress up or that you can, you know, kind of wear trainers. I have a skirt where... I often, I'd say it's kind of like a cotton version of a taffeta ball skirt, but the fabric is cut in a way that it has that sheen, that it feels kind of taffeta and bulky and weighty, but it's 100% cotton and made in the UK. And I always say I wanted something that I could wear to the BAFTAs or to put the bins out. <laughs> and that's, you know, because... Don't we all, don't, don't we all. Don't, exactly. It's like life is too short to save something yeah. for best and have things yeah. in your wardrobe that... Oh, no. I, yeah, I'm going to save that. There's no I, point. I, told, so, I am such a believer in that, honestly. Like, I'm such a believer in life is too short. Like, you know, like, if you've got something really, really nice, you know, like, people are like, well, I just keep it in my wardrobe and never wear it. Like, I'm like, right, you've got to wear it, don't you? Yeah. You've got to kind of yeah, it, just wear it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I wanted something that was so versatile that you would feel great. So I made this skirt that, you know, I wore it with a white shirt and heels to an awards ceremony. And then I wore it with, you know, a sweater and trainers down the pub. And it's that kind of like make your wardrobe work harder, but invest in something that's really well made and made in natural fabrics. So you're, get, you're getting your cost per wear there for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's about investing in clothes that you've absolutely fallen in love with. And if you fall in love with a piece, you're going to wear it on repeat as many times as you can. I remember years ago, we used to do that. I mean, you would buy one coat for the winter and you'd wear it every day. That would be your coat. Uh, you wouldn't have five or six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do that now, but it's like a, like a extravagant one. <laughs> yeah. It's true, though. It's like we'd ha- you'd have one pair of school shoes and one pair of party shoes. Yes. And if you yeah. weren't going to a party at the weekend, you had to wear your school shoes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so um we were chatting as well it was about obviously with your with your new um label that about sustainability and it's something that you're you know you're very interested in and we were talking about the balancing up of sustainability because like it's like it's such a it's like it's such a it's such a word it's like it's like sustainable it's like one word for so many like a spectrum of different uh, features or aspects you know and it, I always think that it's something that's like it's balances up isn't it because we were talking about producing something in India or and it can be sustainable fabric but then obviously you've got to import it so carbon footprint so um yeah can you talk to me about that a little bit about how you kind of balancing up everything and, and yeah. what you were thinking about with your label yeah I mean it is a real juggle and I feel like you can't do everything yeah. But you can do as much as you can. And I think it's being about being honest and transparent about what you are doing and championing something. Because I feel like any brand starting today, you have a responsibility 
to go down an ethical path and be as sustainable as you can be in your field. Obviously, there's certain things that are less sustainable than others, but I think certain things should be a given in every company now, you know, recyclable, recyclable packaging, recycled packaging, you know, organic fabrics. I think the whole polyester conversation hasn't really started. And I think that was one of my real kind of spearheading ideas with Colour Story is that anything I was looking for that I could find that I did like was made in out of polyester. And it, the more you start to look into polyester and how many different fabrics, whether it's, you know, satin, sequin, faux fur, faux leather, it's all plastic. And actually, that's the bit of the conversation that I don't think is happening. And even more so when you start to kind of um, really get down to the to a granular level, you know, you can have your organic T-shirts, organic sweatshirts, organic joggers. You could be somebody who will only wear organic cotton in, and, you know, um, denim with less water usage and all that kind of stuff and be a real kind of eco warrior and then go to a party in a polyester dress. And that kind of, you know, inner battle would, didn't make sense to me of like, hang on a minute, do these people not realise that the dress they're putting on to go to party is polyester or do they not care? And that's the battle. So I kind of wanted to go, right, I'm only going to use natural fabrics, but I'm going to make them look so luxurious that you don't need to then go and, you know, buy polyester. And I feel like the things, things that you can then add to my collection, you can buy them on vintage, you can buy them on eBay. You, can, you know, it's like if I'm going to wear sequins, I'm going to buy something secondhand because it's already out there, you know. Yeah. It also seems a lot of modern textiles have a little bit of this added in. So it will be wool, but then it will have 10% this and 5% this and 5% something else. And it's it's harder to buy a pure fabric now or a pure, you know, one product fabric. And so the person at the party might have, it might have been sold as a silk dress or a silky dress, but then it will have 20% of something else in it as well. So um, it it's quite hard to get away from that, particularly, I think, on the high street. They seem to be the worst offenders for that. So I don't, I don't know if they actually are how aware people are of how mixed think some- up it all is. Yeah, agreed. And I think especially now we're in this world of online shopping. I mean, I'd I'd scour websites purely to see if I can find out what the fabric content is, because I think they're very clever at tricking people, tricking the customer. And when you look at where it says fabric, it says velvet. Yeah. or it says satin or it says yeah. taffeta and I'm like that's not a fabrication <laughs> that's you know yeah. that's a technique of how that fabric was made yeah but actually then if you know so it's it's a lot harder you have to go through more steps to find out oh it's polyamide or acetate or yeah. whatever yeah. it is but yeah they mix it and even you know even organic cotton when you get into baby wear organic cotton you can have five percent elastane and under a certain amount you can still say that it's a hundred percent organic fabric wow and you go okay but it's got elastane in it and elastane is plastic and then if you could go back in time and give yourself your younger self like a piece of advice what would it be i think that i would just say keep going just keep going because i had some tough times growing up and 
I feel like I've, I've heard this question asked a lot before. And I think if I'd have told myself any, if I'd gone back in time and told myself anything, it would have changed the trajectory of where I would have ended up. So I feel like I wouldn't actually tell myself anything because I went through tough times. I had to learn from those and I made decisions based on what I'd been through and what I was going through that took me to places I never thought I would be. I think, you know, I went to New York to get away and I wouldn't have, had I not done that, I wouldn't have met my husband. I wouldn't have had the experiences I've had. So I don't think I would tell my younger self anything to do anything differently. I'd just say, just keep going. Things are going to be okay. Keep going. You're going to make it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kids Wear Therapy. Thank you for having me. I, I needed some therapy or am I dishing out the therapy? <laughs> well, actually, I think you gave me therapy with that. You yeah. made me actually think to myself, do you know what, Kate? If you changed anything in your life, you wouldn't be where you are, what you yeah. do, you know. And yeah, I, I wouldn't want to change anything. So yeah, thank yeah. you. You've given me Good. Kids well, Wear Therapy today. You're fa- oh, you're very welcome. Well, thank you for having <laughs> me. It's been so nice. I love it. George has had an interesting career, hasn't she? Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. I mean, all the all the talk of New York and the Gap, and I mean, what an experience! And to be working for Gap at that time, Mickey Dresler in charge, the creative side of it, being the driver, it just doesn't happen now. And it's interesting as well, isn't it? Her experience from obviously working with big brands, you know, and working with mother care and then obviously on her own personal projects with her new um, clothing line. Yeah, colour story. Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. And I noticed she was wearing the skirt when we met her um, in London a couple of weeks ago and it was very striking. So I'm looking forward to seeing what else she's got up her sleeve. Um, yeah, and I like there's one for the tall girls, which is great. Yeah, not <laughs> right, so much well, for me, but... <laughs> <laughs> one for me. Right, brilliant. Well, see you soon, Linda. Yep, next guest is getting lined up. So here we go. Kids wear therapy. 